There's a phrase inside that song, and when the earth fades and falls from my eyes and I stand before you, and in that moment that I know that you love me. What's the value of that? Everything. To know in that moment that his condemnation is not what we're going to receive, but his love. You've heard me say many times that everything in the Old Testament reveals or points to Jesus. And I do mean everything. Today's topic is clear evidence of this spiritual truth. Bread, water, and snakes. I came up on stage this morning, somebody had a snake laying on the podium here. Let me give you some context today before we begin. Moses has delivered this massive horde of people out of Egypt. It is estimated that they are around 2 million people. And if you wonder how we get that, it says there's a number given, about 600,000 men of fighting age. So you can kind of multiply that by the fact that they were having a lot of kids, and you can come up easily with 2 million people. The children of Israel faced many obstacles and battles on their way to the promised land, but this particular story today deals with three characters, three items, bread, water, and snakes, lots of snakes. No, we're not talking about handling snakes here today. We're not doing that. We're not going there. But we are going to talk about snakes. I have in my life handled some intentionally, and I have handled some unintentionally. A funny story is several years ago, we were doing a major remodel to our house. And during that remodel, there was just a day or so that some of the exterior walls were removed. And I suppose something happened during that time. So... Uh, we were, my son Chad's room was in the basement at the time, and I'm upstairs, and I hear this blood-curdling scream from my wife. I'm expecting to go down the steps and find an axe murderer down there. But instead, I find Janet down there, and she's doing this, like that. And she's pointing to the floor, and across the carpet is a snake, and he's a slithering into... Uh, Chad's room. Well, in that moment, a million things crossed through my mind, all these different options. They're all laying out. But all of the options except one meant that you're going to live here by yourself from now on. <laughs> the only option that prevented those other options from occurring is you're going to grab that snake now before he goes under something, because if he goes under something, you're never going to find him. So I dive across the, I don't know what kind of snake this thing is, but all the other options don't look good. So we dive across the floor, grab him by the tail, and he, he don't grab way back, okay? Snake handlers, you go and get up there tight. So I, I, I reached what I could reach. I grabbed him by the tail, and he comes around, and he bites me like three times on my wrist, just immediately, pow, pow, pow. Blood is coming down my wrist. I still at this point don't know what kind of snake it is. But I choke up rather quickly. Okay, I'm pulling him down. <laughs> pulling, him, pulling him down till you get up there by his head. 
I go out into the garage, take a pair of tin snips and cut his head off, and then I go inside and I Google what kind of snake this is to see if I need to go to the emergency room. It's a rat snake, so no big deal. He can't hurt you. Crisis solved. So I tell you, I've handled some snakes intentionally, and I've handled some snakes unintentionally, and I don't really care for them in either case. We're going to deal with several issues today, so I need to prepare you. Issues such as patience. Anybody have trouble with that? Trusting in God's plan and provision. Anybody have trouble with that? Being satisfied with what the Lord gives you as being enough. Anybody have trouble with that? And the terrible consequences of complaining. Oh, no. The terrible consequences of being a whiner, a complainer. Do you think any of these topics are going to hit you today? Well, hang on. Somebody told me one Sunday uh, that I stepped on their toes a lot. Somebody actually said that to me. I've actually heard a lot of people say that to me. And to which my response is, well, move your toes. <laughs> Today, you might need to move your toes. Remember, everything in the Old Testament reveals or points to Jesus. Here we go. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around, this is important, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and to speak against Moses. Well, why? Because they're having to go the long way. They're going around to Edom rather than go through Edom, which would be the short way. Why have you brought, here's what the people said. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. The trouble starts with the people having to go around to Edom to get to the promised land. This means they'll have to go the long way. And this was understandingly a point of great frustration. It's not like these people had spent a lot of time camping in their lifetime. This was all new to them. They became frustrated and impatient in the wilderness. Why? Because it was so near and yet so far because they have to go around an entire nation of Edom it's going to take a lot longer than it could and it's bad enough as it is they became frustrated they became impatient with Moses listen they became impatient with Moses and with God in that moment the people make a very terrible choice they began to complain against Moses, which is actually complaining against God, because I can tell you none of this is Moses' idea. So near and yet so far. So near and yet so far will do that to a person on their wilderness journey. It'll cause them to become impatient with God and become complaining. And actually looking at God or looking at the circumstances in your life and saying, your way's too hard, God. 
your, your, your way's too long. We're never going to get there. They can't see their future life in that wilderness moment, in the beginning of their complaining, in their mind. They, it's so far away, they cannot see the glory of the promised land. They just can't see it. So they start complaining. This is a tragic mistake, forgetting that they were previously slaves in bondage without any hope of any freedom in their life, much less a promised land for them and their family. They're forgetting the fact that before Moses came, they had nothing. Yeah, they survived, but they're slaves. They got no future. The complaining found its roots. Listen carefully. They're complaining, the Bible says, they're complaining found its roots in two things. Remember, the Old Testament reveals Jesus. The two things the people complained about was water and bread. Water and bread. Now, understand something. In that culture, water and bread means life. It's life. That's how you stay alive. There is, here's what they said. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Now, now don't miss it. There's nothing to eat here, and there's nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Let that sink in for a moment. If that were actually true, if that were actually true, they'd all be dead. If they didn't have any food and they didn't have any water, they'd all be dead. Nobody would be complaining, they'd all be dead. So their murmuring and complaining is actually based on an untruth. This is really important. It's based on an untruth. They have water and they have bread, but it's not enough for them. They want more. And there's the root. The people are not satisfied with the water and the bread of God. They're not satisfied. It's not enough. I want more. I want, I want, I want, I want more. God, through Moses, has supplied water and he supplied bread, but they want more. Let's make something very clear. If you'll study this particular scripture, you're going to find that there's water coming out of rocks. Water's coming out of rocks. So here's the people complaining, we have no water, but there's water coming out of rocks. But they still want more. There's bread Every morning when they get up, there's bread. There's manna coming out of heaven, laying on the ground. You go pick it up, you eat it, you stay alive. You go get the water out of the rock, you stay alive. And yet they say, what? There's no water here. There's no bread, and we hate that manna. You see, their complaint, this is really important. Their complaint is actually based on a non-truth. There is water and there is bread. You're just not satisfied. You want more. Yes, let's don't make light of it. The journey is hard. And yes, they're living and traveling through a very rough wilderness. But everything they need to survive in this wilderness journey to the promised land is being provided by God. Everything they need, not everything they want, but everything they need, God is giving them. Not to mention, not even to mention the fact that you know how they're going. You know how they're traveling from place to place? There's a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud in which the God's presence is visible in the camp. And yet they're still complaining. But they want more. They're not satisfied with this rock that produces water. Anybody see it yet? 
They're not satisfied with this rock that produces water, and they're not satisfied with this bread that suddenly appears from heaven. They want more. Anybody see it yet? Yes, the wilderness journey is hard, but God has not abandoned them in this journey. And let's ask the question, what about us today? I I don't know what you all have faced this week, this month, this year. I I don't know, individually. But do you ever feel like God has abandoned you in your wilderness journey toward the promised land? Can anyone see a parallel from those people to us today? Because I surely can. Can anyone see Jesus yet? I'll give you a hint. Water that comes out of a rock. I'll help you. The Bible specifically says that God, the Father, has placed a rock in Jerusalem. Stay with me. Living water comes from this rock that God put in Jerusalem. Living water. Water that can satisfy the thirsty soul that lives in a wilderness while we make our way toward the promised land. What I'm about to read to you is from the New Testament where God warned the Israelites about trusting in Him and about the rock that can make you stumble in the wilderness. So let's go from the Old Testament story of Moses and two million people complaining, we got no water, we got no bread, and I hate this manna. And let's go to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 9, verse 33. God warned them. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. God says, I made the people a warning. There is a stone that produces living water in Jerusalem, but that stone can trip you or it can make you survive. It's the same stone. This is wonderful, satisfying, eternal water flowing from a stone, a rock that God placed in Jerusalem. Now compare that statement to Moses in the wilderness and there's a rock. You know, I guess there's any place in the world he could have made water come from, but he made it come from stone in the wilderness. Failure to trust in this rock, which flows living water, will cause a person to trip and fall while you're traveling through the wilderness. So let's go to John 4, 13, and Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, now he's referring first to H2O, regular drinking water. Anyone who drinks regular drinking water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. What Jesus contrasts here is there's a normal H2O and then there's a supernatural H2O. One satisfies for a while and then you got to get another drink. There's another one that if you drink from it, you're never thirsty again. It satisfies into eternity. 
But that supernatural rock that produces the supernatural H2O is in Jerusalem. God placed a rock in Jerusalem. Stay with me. God even gives us, the church, a future view of this water that flows from the rock in Jerusalem. What I'm trying to do today is tell you that you are the people in the wilderness story of Moses. It's you. It's me. It's just a different generation. In front of us is the promised land. Behind us is bondage and slavery. And we're in the wilderness. And everything you need, God is right now providing. And some of you, some of you, it's not enough. You still want more. So what he does is he gives us this future view so that you can see what the promised land looks like. Living water in the promised land for those who have received the promises of God. As we pass through the wilderness, this is in front of us. Revelation 21, 6. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to all who were thirsty. I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. Now, that's a future view of what he's going to do in the promised land that you and I are trying to find. Living water. The spring of living water. Water from a rock that God put in Jerusalem. When Moses was in the wilderness, there was a rock in the wilderness that water flowed out of, and it satisfied the thirst of two million people. Can any of y'all imagine how much water it would take for two million people to drink? I can't comprehend how much water came out of that rock. A whole lot. They're in a place that there is no water, and yet it's flowing. Two million people are drinking. Water from a rock, Israel had it in the time of Moses, but they were not satisfied with this water while they were in the wilderness. They wanted more. Sound familiar? How many people today are satisfied with Jesus? How many people today, I'm talking about those who know him, how many people who know Jesus are satisfied that he's enough, fully satisfied and filled? So let me ask you a question, all of you today. If you're watching online, I'm asking you the same question. Is he enough? Do you want more? Is he enough? Jesus makes this statement, and he is the rock that God put in Jerusalem that living water flows from right now, right now, right now. He says, anybody who drinks this earthly water, you're going to get thirsty and thirsty and thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I offer you, you'll never, ever be thirsty again because it, it satisfies every part of your soul. So is he enough, this living water? But what about the bread? That's the first topic, the water. What about the bread? The manna, the bread that came from heaven. Can anyone see Jesus yet? I said everything in the Old Testament is actually painting this picture of Jesus. So let's go back to their whining and complaining. They said, there's nothing to eat here and there's nothing to drink and we hate this horrible manna. 
Their complaining is based on a non-truth. There is water and there is bread. You just want more. You're not satisfied. So let's fast forward some 1,500 years after Moses and these people in the wilderness. Does any of this next verse remind you of heavenly manna? You see, we've got living water of life flowing from a rock in Jerusalem, and now we've got bread. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You, you see what he's saying? Anybody see what he's saying? That he is this supernatural supply of bread and water. The very thing they complained about in the wilderness is the very thing people are complaining about in this wilderness. He's not enough. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Again, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven. Where did the manna come from in the wilderness? It came out of heaven. And here's Jesus saying, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Water from a rock and bread from heaven, and people still want more. It's not enough. And it's based on a non-truth then, and it's based on a non-truth today. Jesus is enough. And if I look at the audience today, I can guarantee you everybody here has everything you need in the wilderness. Maybe you don't have everything you want in the wilderness, but you've got everything you need in the wilderness. And in fact, besides the physical side of that discussion, you've got the bread of life and the living water of Jesus. Is it enough? Anybody complaining? Is it enough? These people are not satisfied with the water and the bread from God while they're in the wilderness. Sound familiar? Even though the promised land is just in front of them, they're not satisfied with the bread that comes out of heaven and the water that comes out of a rock. They're complaining. Sound familiar? You think people changed? So are you satisfied or do you want more? Is Jesus enough for you in this present wilderness journey? So I want you today to put yourself inside of this story. You and I are in the wilderness. In front of us is the promised land. Egypt is behind us. And we've got this bread and we've got this water. Is it enough? Are you going to complain? Do you want to go back to Egypt and get some of their water? Because here's where the story gets interesting. You see, in the wilderness... They cannot see the glory of the promised land. And some of them say, it'd be better if we went back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. To anybody in the room today, would you like to go back to Egypt and get some of their water and get some of their bread? Or maybe if you'd be honest, you've already gone back to Egypt. Maybe if you'd be honest, you've already gone back to Egypt and you've already gotten some of that water and some of that bread. Let's tell the truth. Egypt, symbolically speaking, has really good water. 
It tastes good. And their bread is really good. I'm talking about symbolically. It's really tasty water and it's really tasty bread. But Egypt bread and Egypt water come with an expiration date. That's a big problem. All of it's temporary bread. And it's all temporary water. And the more you drink of Egypt water and the more you eat the Egypt bread, the hungrier you get. It never, ever, ever really satisfies you. You're just left more thirsty and you're left more hungry. But there's a real problem. Listen carefully. There's a real problem with seeking your water and bread from Egypt. Because that's what some of the people in the wilderness journey in the time of Moses wanted to do. Let us just go back to Egypt. Uh, we won't have to trust in a rock to give us water. And we won't have to trust in heaven to give us bread. We'll just go do it the old-fashioned way. Let's go back to us supplying ourselves instead of you supplying us. Let's go back to that. We liked it better then. But here's the real problem with seeking your water and bread from Egypt. Are you ready? You can't get to the promised land by way of Egypt. You're going the wrong way. You can't get to the promised land by way of Egypt. You're going the wrong way. Why, why do I say that? Because God has promised to meet you in the promised land. He's not going to meet you in Egypt. Egypt is where you're from. He's not going to be there on the last day. He's going to be in the promised land on the last day. And if you turn around and go back to Egypt, you're going to miss him. You see, that thing, that text brings me to this next scene with Moses and the grumbling people of Israel out in the wilderness. And it's the same event. It's the same story. In fact, I think it's the next verse. They have just said what? There's nothing to eat here and there's nothing to drink and we hate this horrible manna. And I hope you're ready for this next part because we've done bread, we've done water, and now here come the snakes. Verse 4. Now, let me put it all together, okay? I'm put the whole thing together. Then the people of Israel set out for Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Now here comes the snakes. So the Lord, who? Not Satan. No, no, no. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten, and they died. And then the people, and then the people, I don't doubt this, and then the people came to Moses. They like Moses now. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Complaining about the bread and the water of God. Listen, listen, listen. Complaining about the bread and the water of God. Not being satisfied with the sufficiency of the bread and the water of God. Brought the snakes. And the snakes brought death. Complaining that God's wilderness supply 
And we're in this story, okay? Don't, don't listen to today's message and think about a bunch of ancient people. You are in this story complaining about the wilderness supply, complaining it's not enough, brought snakes, brought death. This statement from the people brought snakes to the camp. Here it is. If you read it, it's clear. This statement brought the snakes into the camp, death into the camp. What statement? It sounds so simple. There's nothing to eat here. There's nothing to drink. And we hate the horrible man. If that were true today, if God today looked at the church, would there be snakes? You're not satisfied. He's not enough. You want more? Some of you even are gone, have gone back to Egypt already. You're not thinking about going back to Egypt. You've gone back to Egypt. And some of you really would like to. If that were true, if that story had application, physical application today, I wonder how many of us would survive the wilderness. I wonder how many of us would survive the service. The snakes got their attention. I found out in my life, snakes always get people's attention. People were dropping dead everywhere by snake bite. The people confessed their sins. You know what happened when the snakes came? The people confessed their sins against God and Moses, and they begged Moses to intercede on their behalf and stop the snakes. Pray for us, Moses! You see, the truth was that Moses was the only person in the camp in a position, listen, in a position with God that he could pray for them. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, Moses is a shadow of Jesus, our deliverer. Can anyone see Jesus yet? Is there any, anyone who can intercede on our behalf today and stop the snake bite of death, the serpent's bite? So what did Moses do? He prayed for the people. He stood between the complaining rebels and God. Surely you're going to see Jesus in this next part. There's bread out of heaven. There's water coming out of a rock. And now there's snakes. And now there's Moses standing between the snakes and the people and God as an intercessor to stop the snake bite, which is killing people. Anybody see Jesus yet? I'll give you another try. Remember, this whole Moses, Israel, bread, water, snakes thing is 1,500 years before Christ. Next verse, next verse, verse 8. And then the Lord told Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. Huh, isn't this interesting? Now, now get the context. People are dying all over the camp. Moses stands between the people and God and says, would you please stop the snakes? God looks at Moses and says, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all the people, all who are bitten by the snakes, all who are bitten will live if, if, if. Just making the pole won't cure them. All who are bitten by the snakes 
will live if they simply look up at the pole that has the poisonous snake on it. Just look up. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and he attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake, which was sure death, could look at the bronze snake and be healed. You see, there's a little time gap between the snake bite and the pole. There's a time gap. And in that time gap, you had a choice. If you looked up in the time gap, you could live. But if you didn't look up, you died. I'm going to ask you, can anybody see Jesus yet? We've got bread, we've got water, and we've got snakes. If, if not, you should have went to Sunday school when you were a kid. You see, the snake bite is deadly. So God tells Moses to raise up a bronze replica of a poisonous snake, put it on a pole. If you study the, the tabernacle of the Jewish people, bronze always had to do with judgment. It always was part of judgment. How God would deal with judgment, he used bronze. The bronze laver, for example. So hold up the bronze serpent and look at it and you'll be healed. Hold it up. Hold it up. You must look up. God's cure was based on the fact that you must look up. You must fake, excuse me, you must face the reality of your impending death. Everybody listen, you must face the reality of your impending death. You must not ignore the fact that you have been bitten and look up. Look up and see that which, there's a snake on a pole. Face the reality of your own death. You must look up. Face the fact that your heart, and what is the real point underneath of that? Face the fact that your heart is bent toward Egypt. Your heart is not bent toward the promised land. Your heart is bent toward Egypt. You'd really like to go back there. You don't want to trust in God bringing down bread from heaven or water from rocks. You want to go back and trust in you and society. The problem is everybody back there dies eventually too. Look up and be healed from the snake bite of death. Face the reality of your own death. Now, everybody listen carefully. You ready for this? I told you, we need to put ourselves today inside this story. And inside the story today, here's our reality. We've all been bit. All of us have been bit. And there's some of you listening to me, some of you right here, you don't want to, you refuse to acknowledge the reality that you are snake bit. You refuse to come to grips with it. You pretend like it's not real. Anybody see Jesus yet? As usual, the Bible interprets the Bible. I love that part. So let's go to the New Testament. This next account is between Jesus and Nicodemus, and it's just three verses away from John 3.16, which you all know. And Jesus is going to say what I'm about to read some 1,500 years after the bread and after the water and after the snakes, 
with Moses in the wilderness. There's 1,500 years, but truth does not expire with time. And Jesus says this, John 3, 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Here's your manna. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, Jesus, 1,500 years later, says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus is the one that connects himself. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He's the one that connects himself to this scene from Moses and the snakes in the wilderness. I realize that some of you struggle with the idea that the Old Testament stories still have application today. All of this is revealing Jesus. I wonder if that's really the reason why the Lord led me to this passage on this Sunday. I've told you a hundred times, maybe more, that when God called me, he gave me three things. When I was called into the ministry, he gave me three things. It doesn't matter to me if anybody else believes it. I know what he called me to do. I was called to be a watchman. I was called because the deliverer is coming, and I was called to make the church ready for the wedding. She thinks she's ready. She is not ready. She's not. She thinks she is. She's not. Listen carefully as the Apostle Paul connects this Old Testament traveling through the wilderness Israel story to the church right now, right now, today. Only the truth can set us free. And Paul is writing to a Gentile church, and Paul is giving a warning that applies to people hearing me right now. This whole complaining thing was based on a non-truth. So if the complaining was based on a non-truth, it's likely that the real truth could get you out of it. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 10.1. I beg you to listen carefully. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. This is Paul writing a Gentile church. Just consider you're in the story. He's talking to you. He doesn't want us to forget about Moses and them in the wilderness. All of them, that's two million, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them. Do you notice all of them, all of them, all of them? In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, manna. All of them drank the same spiritual water, came from a rock in the wilderness. All of them, all of them, all of them. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. 1,500 years before he was born in Bethlehem. It's him. He's the rock that the water comes from. Anybody see it? Oh, this is when it gets good. Verse 5, yet God was not pleased with most. 
All of them, all of them, all of them, all of them. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning for who? The church. The arrogant church. These things are written as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things like they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, these people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did, and they died with snake bites. And don't grumble, oh buddy. And don't grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them, why? As examples for us. Anybody listening? They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. You've heard the warning. Today you've heard the warning. I've heard the warning. I get it. I get it. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Warning. Red light flashing warning to the church. Do not crave the evil things that they did in the wilderness. Idolatry, drunkenness, pagan revelry, sexual immorality. 23,000 died in one day. They put Christ to the test. Snakes came. Many died. Grumbling sent the angel of death into the camp. Warning, warning, warning. Don't do what they did. It's written down as a warning to you. Is any of this in the church today? Any of those things, any of that in the church today? This is our warning from God's word today. Do not crave the evil things they did. Do not put Christ to test, church. The snake bite of death is real. Look up. I've got a message for the church. It's for me, it's for you, it's for everyone who will listen. Look up. You've been bit. You've been bit. You're going to die. Look up. Face the reality of your own death. Jesus came to the earth. Living water, water from a rock, manna, bread from heaven, to save us from the deadly snake bite of sin. It is 100% fatal. It is 100% mortal. It will destroy your human flesh. The snake bite of death is the serpent Satan's bite, and we've all been bitten. Look up. Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could Jesus die. And only by Jesus dying could he break this power, this snake bite. Only by Jesus dying could he break the power 
of the devil who has the power of death. The snake bite is sure and certain death. And today I tell you, look up and live. Face the reality of your own death. You have been bitten. Look up and see the living water that flows from the rock in our current wilderness. Look up and see the bread of life that comes through the living word of God's Son. Look up and be healed. Stop complaining about the wilderness and look up and look forward to the promised land that lies directly in front of you. And I believe with all of my heart that the promised land is so, 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 so close. Hear the warning of God today. Do not crave the evil things they did. As Jesus was making his final visit to Jerusalem before he was crucified, he reveals this. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world. Listen carefully. Jesus says, those who love their life in this world. This world is a picture of Egypt. So everybody listen. This is absolute truth. Those who love their life in this world are going to lose their life. That's a picture of Egypt. We're in the wilderness. And the rock and the water that comes from the rock and the bread that comes from heaven are both Jesus. And if you're satisfied with him and he's enough, you have left Egypt. You're not going back to Egypt. You don't crave Egypt. Because you know that in front of you is the promised land. You're not interested in Egypt anymore. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life in this world will keep it for eternity. Do you think he's bluffing? Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Well, I'm going to tell you, he's not in Egypt. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now, Jesus said, my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? He's talking about the cross, but this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder while others declared an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus told them, listen carefully, The heavens have just spoken audibly into the crowd. Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, here comes that pole and the serpent. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Why is he going to be lifted up? And why is he going to draw everyone to himself? Because everyone's been snake bit. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Today, I'll tell you, look up. Yes, we're all living in a very difficult and harsh wilderness today. We're in this story. 
I must tell you today that Jesus is enough. And I'm telling you, be fully satisfied in him today. You know what it's called? Faith. That's it. That's it. It's called faith. Be fully satisfied in him. He is the living water and he is the bread of life and he is enough and he alone can lead us to the promised land. Stop complaining, stop murmuring, and stop looking back at Egypt, craving worldly desires and pleasures. You can't get to the promised land by way of Egypt. You're going the wrong way. God is not going to live. You're not going to meet the Father in Egypt. You will meet him in the promised land. If you're facing Egypt, you're going the wrong way today. The truth is this today. We've all been snake bit. And there's people sitting in this room right now. There's people watching online right now that up to this point, you refuse to acknowledge the simple truth. You are going to one day die. You just don't know when. And what do you think causes death? Sin, it is the serpent's bite. Look up. Look up. Face the reality of your own death. The poison of sin is going to kill us all unless we look up. Today, Jesus has been lifted up. John 12, 32. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all, everyone to myself. You must look at him to survive. You must confess your sins and admit that you've been bitten by the serpent. Face the reality of your own death without him. It's called faith. Repent. Turn your back to Egypt and your face to Jesus and the promised land. Look up. He is drawing people to himself today. And I tell you, do not put the Lord to test. Did I step on anybody's toes today? If so, I suggest you move your feet. The Word of God is not moving. We need to move. Jesus told Satan what? In the temptation, man shall not live by bread alone. That's Egypt. But by every word that comes from the mouth of of God. This. Is Jesus enough? No. He's more than enough to supply you and sustain your life in this wilderness while we as a body wait for the promised land. One last scene and we'll close today. And what about the promised land? Can anybody in this room, can your mind comprehend the glory of the promised land that's just out in front of us if we will stop looking back at Egypt? Can you possibly compare Egypt to the promised land? Can you possibly compare the eternal glory of the promised land to the temporary sufferings we might have to endure in the wilderness? Do you believe and receive the promises of God regarding this future promised land? This is the last chapter of revelation, a revelation of what the promised land is for those who will hold on. Revelation 22, verse 1. And then the angel showed me a river of the water of life. It's there. 
clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Somebody say hallelujah. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamp or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. And the Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Bread, water, and snakes. This story is recorded as a warning to the church. Warning. I'll read it one last time. Do not crave the evil things as they did in the wilderness. Idolatry, drunkenness, pagan revelry, sexual immorality. They put Christ to the test and snakes came and many died grumbling. And God sent angel of death into the wilderness camp. Warning, warning, warning. You've been warned today. But he didn't just warn you without any cure. You, I, have been snake bit. Look up. Face the reality of your own death without Jesus. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Behold him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He and he alone is the cure of death. He and he alone is what Moses symbolically held up that day to those who were snake bit. Look up and you will live. Look up at the cross. Look up at the Savior. Look up at Messiah. Look up by faith. Put your faith in him, not in Egypt, not in you, not in doctors, not in government. You've been snake bit. I've been snake bit, but I've been healed. I've been healed. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Is that yours? Look up. Behold the Lamb. Let's stand. Let's sing. The invitation's open.